Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Wednesday, November 16th. Well, it's only eight days since Election Day 2022, with its mixed results for each party, and already the race for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination is shaping up. Last Thursday, just two days after Election Day, I happened to hear Chris Christie on Fox Radio with Brian Kilmeade say this when asked if he's going to enter the 24 race. Well, I'm certainly thinking about it, Brian. Um, I, I think we need to have people who know how to win general elections in blue states again. Um, And, you know, I've certainly proven that over the course of my my career winning two terms in a state like New Jersey. The last time was 61% of the vote when, you know, no one wins in blue states like that from the Republican Party. Chris Christie last Thursday. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis didn't have to express an interest in running because so many Republicans and commentators are voluntarily calling him the front runner and the future of the party after his 20-point re-election win in the former swing state of Florida. Then on Monday, just six days after the election, Mike Pence began a book tour for his new autobiography called So Help Me God, a book tour, of course, often being a prelude to announcing a run. Speaking on ABC, Pence said he's giving a run for the White House prayerful consideration and took several explicit shots at a likely rival, former President Donald Trump, like when Pence was asked about Trump's anti-Pence tweet in the middle of the January 6th riot. I mean, the president's words were reckless. It was clear he decided to be part of the problem. Pence in the interview that aired on Monday. Then last night, as you certainly know, former President Trump officially launched his effort to do what only Grover Cleveland has done before, get reelected to the presidency four years after losing the job. He did not emphasize his election denialism, which hurt the party in the midterms, arguing instead that his years in office were a kind of golden age for the country. Two years ago, when I left office, the United States stood ready for its golden age. Our nation was at the pinnacle of power, prosperity, and prestige, towering above all rivals, vanquishing all enemies, and striding into the future, confident and so strong. We'll talk now about the competition for Republican Party leadership, including these early volleys in the race for president, and the question of whether Kevin McCarthy will become Speaker of the House, assuming the GOP does take the House majority, as it looks like they will, and with Mitch McConnell apparently being challenged for a minority leader status in the Senate as well. With me now is Eliana Johnson, editor-in-chief of the conservative publication The Washington Free Beacon and co-host of their podcast, Ink-stained wretches. Hi, Eliana. Thanks for coming on. Welcome back to WNYC. Thanks so much for having me. Great to be with you. Let's start with this. How much do you think the results of the midterm elections will affect how crowded the Republican presidential field will be for 2024? I certainly think more people will be motivated to consider a run, but I think it's premature to uh, right now to be able to say how many people will get in or not based on that. Um, I think 
there is a perception that Donald Trump is at his weakest political point that he's ever been since he rode down that escalator in 2015. And certainly that's prompting uh, many young, ambitious Republicans to think about launching a run. At the same time, you've already seen some, like Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas, uh, say they're not going to run um, and we're considering it. So I don't think we know yet. So, Eliana, Trump is the only candidate to officially announce so far. Do you think the timing of Pence's book release is also a way to lay the groundwork for him? Pence's book release is absolutely a way to test the waters um, of whether there's an appetite for a Pence candidacy in in the country. And I think he and his advisors are closely watching what the reception is like to his book and his media tour. Uh, He's ubiquitous everywhere. You know, he was on Fox News this morning. He'll be on CNN tonight. Um, And he's watching closely, I think, um, whether based on the reception of his book, he can make a go of it. But Brian, I want to add one other thing to your previous question that I think mm-hmm. is important to the question of how many people are going to get in this race. Uh, certainly, you could think more people are going to get in because they sense Trump is weak. On the other hand, I do think that the memory of 2016 weighs heavily on a lot of Republicans, which is Trump won with 30 some percent of the Republican primary vote because there was a huge and splintered primary field. So you have to think that some of these ambitious Republicans have to be uh, thinking, are we going to let one or two other people try to take on Trump head on? I think a lot of people would like to see a head on DeSantis Trump uh, can't. primary. That's a reference to Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, who was reelected by a 20 point margin. last Tuesday. So I think that cuts both ways. What about Chris Christie? He had an interesting electability argument in that clip there, a Republican who's a proven winner in a blue state. Do you expect him to run or be a serious contender if he does? He's certainly thinking about it. I think that he will have an uphill battle. I don't think his argument is a unique one. Um, You can look at a lot of Republicans who have had electoral success in purple states. I wouldn't say deep blue states, but purple states. Uh, Brian Kemp in Georgia, Doug Ducey in Arizona, Ron DeSantis in Florida, who has transformed that state from a purple state to a red state. Mike DeWine in Ohio, similarly, who has helped uh, move that state from a purple state to a red state. And none of these people were uh, Trump loyalists necessarily, but they managed to show that you can have electoral success and in fact, run ahead on the ticket of the Trump loyalists running beside you. How would you compare and contrast DeSantis and DeWine since you brought both of them up and people have been following politics since at least 2000. Remember, of course, that Florida was the ultimate swing state in 2000. Ohio was the ultimate swing state in 2004, George Bush's reelection. Now they're both considered much redder states. But I think DeSantis and DeWine are pretty different from each other. I think DeWine is more politically to the center um, than DeSantis. Or how would you describe it? I think that's accurate. And I heard somebody say this, so I apologize. I can't remember who it was, and I'm going to uh, steal the thought, but that um, you have to think about these candidates as cake and frosting. And the cake is the fundamentals. Can these people govern? And the frosting is the excitement factor, um, the ability to connect with people on the campaign trail, to find a winning message. And in many ways, um, 
De, uh, DeWine is the cake. Uh, Trump is the frosting. He's the excitement. And DeSantis, in a lot of ways, is the cake and the frosting together. Um, he got the he has the fundamentals. He does pay attention to the nuts and bolts of governing the state of Florida. Um, but he is appealing to the base, too. Let's take a phone call. Donna in Queens. You're on WNYC. Hi, Donna. Thanks for calling up. Oh, let me try that. Thank again. you for taking my call. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Now we Can have you. Can you hear me? Yeah, now we have you. I'm yeah. sorry. My fault. Yeah, uh, Trump is my guy. I voted for him uh, both elections, but I don't think he should run this time around. Um, we have younger generations that can do this with uh, uh, stronger feet on the ground and um, uh, uh, more tech savvy. He should be blessing people to go, not him. That's Donna, just my take on it. Donna, thank you very much. Um Getting back to DeSantis as one of those one of those younger people, your publication, The Free Bacon, had an article on DeSantis this week that I read by Colin Anderson, how the GOP turned Florida into a red state. Talk about that a little bit. How do you see DeSantis as having gone from a squeaker of a victory in 2018 to re-election by 20 points in this year when Republicans as a whole underperformed expectations? It's really interesting. You know, DeSantis campaigned as a firebrand in 2018. Um, I'm sure many of us who follow this closely remember his ad where he was reading to his young children uh, a children's version of Build the Wall. And it was a hokey and, and sort of ridiculous ad. And it ended up working. But once DeSantis was elected by half a point, he pivoted to the center. And in fact, when you look at his record, he's done a lot on climate and on protecting uh, Florida's outdoor and wa wildlife areas. And he he made almost a 180. And I think DeSantis uh, showed that you um, he is fighting the culture war issues. That's absolutely true. But he's doing this without frightening um, middle of the road voters. You can't scare away those kinds of people. And I think the Republicans, many of the Republicans learned um, that lesson painfully in this midterm election uh, last Tuesday. Well, I think one of the things we saw in the midterm election is that a lot of middle of the road voters, as you described them, um, voted Democratic in some congressional races because of the issue of abortion. Um, is where's DeSantis on that? And does if he's um, very much restrictive on abortion rights, does that not potentially? Well, obviously it didn't in Florida. So why didn't it scare away some of those middle of the road voters? It's a really good question, and there's I think there's a lesson in both DeSantis and Mike DeWine. Uh, DeSantis has passed uh, the law in Florida is I believe a 12 week uh, ban, and. It, um, that's actually kind of where the country is. You know, the country, um, I think we learned, does not want um, zero abortion, but favors some kind of restriction after the first trimester. And you can argue about where that should be. DeWine in Ohio is even more restrictive than DeSantis. But I think what helped these guys was uh, they had a policy and they had had to defend this policy um, in their own states, whereas many of the Republican candidates, um, they didn't quite know what their view were, 
their views were and they were on the defensive responding to attacks as opposed to like having governed a state and pushed their policies through having ways to defend having ways to defend it and understanding how to appeal to the voters in their states based on the policies that they're putting forward. Let's take another call. Frank in Bayville, you're on WNYC. Hi, Frank. Hey, Brian. How's it going? I I just wanted to say, yeah, you know, President Trump there, he did an excellent job during his presidency. I agree with uh, most of his policies and how he handled things. Um, I unfortunately believe that because of his division, throughout our country he might not be the man for the job um it's uh, it's it's really hard to see everyone so divided um be, because of him i think he did his job he activated uh, the minority majority and woke everyone up here to, to see what's going on in dc and uh i would love for desantis to uh to step in and, and take it and maybe he can you know, implement some of the rules that he has in Florida with banning uh, mass mail-in ballots and banning uh, ballot harvesting, required voter ID, and uh, he even put together an election police force. And, well, what do you know? They had their election decided by 10 o'clock at night. So it looks like those uh, strategies are working. So I say let's go to Santa. Thank thank you very much. There was a lot in that call. Um, Trump, in his announcement last night, very much de-emphasized the stolen election claim. Um, he made some passing references to it, but I think you tell me, after seeing how badly the election deniers did, especially at the state level where they can change the rules or not certify an election if it doesn't come out their way, uh, those people lost. The public didn't seem to have much of an appetite for that. And and yet the caller says, on the one hand, Trump should move on after activating the base the last few years. On the other hand, he cited um, election law changes by DeSantis as one of the reasons he should run. So there's there's a mix of things in there about moving on or embracing, embracing um, perceived threats to election integrity for the next cycle, right? You know, it's interesting. Florida, in, part of the reason that Florida counts votes so efficiently is because of reforms um, in the wake of the 2000 election when there was a lot of craziness and inefficiency. And it's hard to know how much of the efficiency is tied to reforms DeSantis has put in place. But I think certainly a lot of it um, came in the wake of that 2000 election. But Brian, it's really interesting. The t- two callers um, who have called in have said, I voted for Trump, but I'm ready to move on. And I do think that uh, Trump's success in a Republican primary, it hinges on how many people um, among Republican primary voters feel that way. Um, And I don't think we know yet, but I I certainly think that the lesson of the past uh, seven years or so since 2015 is that you can't count Trump out and that um, there's going to have to be uh, a persuasive, first of all, um, a compelling alternative to him. And second of all, um, a real persuasion effort to persuade the voters like you can't move on without the party, without bringing the party's primary voters along. The article on the speech, on the announcement speech, in your publication by Andrew Stiles says it comes with the Republican Party as divided as ever. The last caller was talking about a downside of Trump, even though he likes Trump, 
uh, being so divisive in the country, maybe that makes him less electable going forward as the caller sees it. Um, but your article says it comes with the Republican Party as divided as ever. If you agree with that, divided primarily in what ways? Well, one of the things about Trump and Trumpism that has been problematic for the Republican Party, which I think you have to know, like Trump, uh, Trump did not win the popular vote in 2016. Um, he lost the House in 2018. He lost the presidency in 2020. And his performance in the 2022 midterms was not fantastic. But one of the one of the problems with Trump is that he divides Republicans. He's a divisive figure, even within the party. And he unites Democrats. And one of his biggest problems has been that um, he is motivational, not only among the base, but also among the oppositions. He motivates Democrats to get out to the polls. And one of the things we've seen is that there are actually more of those people than there are uh, Trump base voters in hmm. the part in the Republican Party. Interesting. So kind of to that point, let me play another clip of Chris Christie. This is from Real Time with Bill Maher on HBO last month with a specific and somewhat sarcastic shot at Trump's electoral record after winning in 2016. All I heard in 2016 was that uh, we're going to do so much winning that we're going to be tired of winning and he's gonna, we're going to ask him not to win anymore. And then <laughs> we lost the House and the Senate in 18. We lost the presidency in 20. We lost two Senate seats in Georgia in 20. Uh, it's so, uh, a lot of losing. Um, I think they might want to go back to winning again. Okay. And that was last month, Eliana, even before this election turned out the way it did. Do you agree with that take? I do agree with that uh, take. You know, it's I think it's a little bit rich coming from Chris Christie, who was among the first establishment Republicans to endorse Trump in 2016 and was a contender to be the pre uh, Trump's chief of staff during his administration. But I think he's largely right that all of the wins, the electoral wins Trump promised have not come along with him. And it's for the reason I think that I, I mentioned before, which is that he is divisive within the party and he's very motivational for the opposition. Um, the other thing that I that jumped out at me in his speech last night was that um, there was something, uh, you know, either you were when when Trump announced in 2015, uh, he was new and shocking and you couldn't take your eyes off him. And he didn't have that effect last night. Um, it was it it felt more stale and less energetic. Part of that is because he was in front of in front of a big crowd. He was reading from a teleprompter. But I also think that there's he he's running the the risk that his shtick is worn out. Uh, he's not new anymore. Is anybody making a thing of the couple of weird little gaffes in that speech last night? Like he called Reconstruction part of the Civil War. And he said um, he led the country through decades of peacetime, the first president ever to do that. Did you pick up on those? And is anybody going, what, what? I did pick up on those. And I think what you're likely to hear is the same stuff that Republicans say about Biden, which is that he is, uh, first of all, he's never been a strong reader from a teleprompter. Neither one of them has actually, but he's old. You know, he is in he's 76 years old. He would be 78 in 2024. And um, this is exhausting stuff. Um, and so I'm not sure there's really more to it than that. I sort of doubt it. But um, but th this is challenging and and difficult to perform in front of a, in, in front of a national audience. And uh, and it's the. 
I, I look at White House reporting and I say, oh, that's the stuff of young people, you know, getting on a plane, flying all around the country. I mean, the same is true a hundredfold for serving as president of the United States. Eliana Johnson, editor in chief of the Washington Free Beacon and co-host of their podcast, Ink Stained Wretches. Eliana, thanks so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.